There are over 4,000 folks here at the Labor Notes Conference in Chicago, and I think we talked to almost all of them today. My name is Liz Medina. Will Westlake. Michael Brennan. What, what is your name? I'm Robert Ovetz. Jeff Egan. Noah Strang. John Courtney. My name is Jordan Fisher. Angel Jones. My name's Howard uh, Stewart. Sam Sproul. Glenn Fields. Lakeisha Lloyd. Dan Kask. My Okay, maybe not all 4,000, but a terrific cross-section of the activists and self-proclaimed troublemakers that Evan, Patrick, and I talked to here in Chicago. The music you'll hear today is from the Great Labor Arts Exchange. I'm Chris Garlock. Here's the show. My name is Liz Medina. I wear many hats. I'm the director of the Vermont State Labor Council, and I also uh, run a podcast myself on the Labor Radio Podcast Network called On Mass. I'm here at Labor Notes on Friday, June 17th, around 9.30 a.m. Folks are already streaming in to register, checking out the many tables for organizations before workshops begin at 10 a.m. It is going to be an amazing event. I think we're going to see thousands here at this conference this weekend. Are you doing a workshop? Are you attending workshops? I am going to be going to as many workshops as I can, um, but I think it's also important to you know have some downtime so you can actually talk to people and uh, you know, for lack of a better term, network with people um, who can help you actually do the work that you're learning about here after the uh, conference, after Labor Notes is over. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to go to a lot of direct action-oriented workshops. And I myself will be giving a workshop on Saturday at 10.15 a.m. in the Capitol Room uh, called New Trends in Revitalized Central Labor Councils. And we are going to have a panel with uh, a few other uh, labor councils to talk about how we've transformed our federations into fighting federations. And so I hope folks will stop by because we really need to have that coordinated action for the labor movement. Too often, we are stuck in the silos of our locals or our unions, and there is a very important role for federations in building our power. Uh, could you begin by saying uh, your name? Yeah, it's Will Westlake. I come from Buffalo, New York, um, and I'm here with Starbucks Workers United, um, which you know is a group of Starbucks workers that um, basically started organizing in this past August and we now have over 150 stores that have organized in pretty much the last six months. Incredible wave. So you work at Starbucks? Yeah. And what are some of the main issues that you found that the workers are, are trying to change that can make it better workplace? I, I think the biggest thing has just always been a lack of voice in the workplace, you know. Um, 
Howard Schultz said a couple weeks ago, um, the CEO of Starbucks, that uh, you know these aren't coal miners. Like we don't need to organize because this isn't the coal mines. Like you know you can look at history and there's a really bad place to work and Starbucks isn't that. So therefore you know you don't need a union. Um, we have a lot of issues. We have a lot of grievances. We have a lot of things that we're going to negotiate for in our first contract. Um, but always at the center of the campaign has just been the right to organize, to be able to actually have a say in what happens in the store because we're the ones who are affected. We're the ones who, you know, have solutions to problems and who have, you know, been living in this hierarchy that hasn't been able to take those solutions and actually do anything useful. So we're creating our own hierarchy that's going to listen to those solutions and that's going to make stores better for everyone. If you can just, uh, yeah, just make sure you're talking into sure. the mic, cool. And uh, could you say your name? Michael Brennan. I'm here at Labor Notes um, for the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives. We're the National Trade Association for Worker-Owned Businesses and Democratic Workplaces. Um, we think that it's really important for the worker cooperative movement, the cooperative movement generally, to be deeply connected with the labor movement, especially the militant side of the labor movement, as it is very excitedly gathered here this weekend. So just very happy to you know, be in community with all the folks here right now. For someone who's never heard of a worker cooperative, how would you explain it in like an elevator pitch? Sure. So a cooperative business is a business that's um, controlled and governed by the principle of one member, one vote. So the membership is kind of the, the main question. So, you know, if you have a food co-op or a consumer co-op, that usually means your customers is the member. They'll elect a board. The board will hire the management type of a thing. For a worker cooperative, um, the workers are the members of the organization. And so depending on you know, how big it is or the different dynamics around it, um, the workers are the ones governing and managing the business. Um, again, that could be non-hierarchical. They could just directly manage everything themselves. They could together elect a board, which is t tends to be what moves into like the union worker cooperative model, because a union would be the mechanism by which once you have a scaled you know, board and then they hire management, you still need to actually negotiate your working conditions. What, what is your name? I'm Robert Ovetz. Okay. I'm a labor educator. I'm also an author of books on uh, class struggle and labor movement. And, uh, and I'm an organizer with my union, the California Faculty Association at the San Jose State University chapter. I'm really interested in the march on your boss, um, how to turn an issue into a campaign, you know, all the typical labor notes kind of stuff, but also um, particularly Joe Burns. You know, I think he's, uh, he's reinvigorating uh, our attention to the role of strikes and, and how we build unions through strikes. All right, what's, uh, what's your name? Jeff Egan. I'm from uh, the Washington, D.C. area. I'm with the National Treasury Employees Union. And what brings you to Labor Notes? Uh, it's an inspiring gathering, intergenerational gathering of some of the most progressive labor activists from across the country and even the world. Uh, what's your name? My name is Noah Strang. And where are you from, Noah? I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan. And which organization are you with? I'm an intern with the Young Democratic Socialists of America. I've been involved in campus labor activism at the University of Michigan for years. Um, we actually just won a Fight for 15 campaign that I've been working on for over a year. And I heard that, you know, the biggest union congregation in the country was happening in Chicago, and I just had to go. Um, and a lot of DSA folks were going, so I wanted to show up. And, you know, in the fall, I'm going to be going to UMass Amherst to do a labor studies master's. And I just like, this is just exactly what I wanted to be. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, tell me your name. John Courtney, president, business agent, ATU Local 265 in San Jose, California. 
All righty, John. And uh, what brings you to Labor Notes? And uh, you have a story to tell us. I, uh, I've been coming to Labor Notes for quite a few years now. I'm here at Labor Notes. I'm on a, I'm on a couple of panels, one of them being a panel uh, in regards to mental health in the workplace and access to mental health and mental health resources. Um, we had a uh, tragedy happen in our workplace last year on May 26th in San Jose, California. You may have heard about it. There was a, uh, uh, an employee, a member of our union um, in, in a room that I was in, murdered six folks right in front of my eyes and went on to murder three more. Um, and because there was lack of mental health resources, one of our executive board members who was helping folks subsequent to the massacre um, killed himself. Mm. And um, mm. so we are, we are working our way through that, and we are pretty much writing the playbook for mental health resources in the workplace. I myself have now suffer from PTSD, anxiety, and um, my primary goal here initially is to... Um, start to try to, to, to remove the stigma of the admission of mental health. Um, and it's okay to say you're not okay. And um, it's also okay to um, be getting help from the professionals. The problem is getting help from the professionals and where are the professionals. So um, that's primarily why I'm here. I'm thinking, John, that another thing about the labor movement, um, I think it's fair to say, is a macho kind of a thing, uh, even, even today. After yeah, all the- absolutely. And what you're talking about kind of runs counter to that. And I'm just wondering, how, how are you dealing with that? As I come along in my um, therapy and that mental help that I'm getting, I'm finding that I'm even more macho today <laughs> as I stand here in front of you and tell you the issues that I'm having. And I can tell you, I build strength every single day when I, when I um, rally uh, around people who also... Um, suffer from mental health uh, issues, and it's not a weakness, it's an absolute strength when you're strong enough to say that you have a problem. All right, we are recording, and uh, could you start by saying uh, what your name is? My name is Jordan Fisher. So I'm coming from Seattle, Washington, and uh, I'm a founder of an app development company here to, you know, do my due diligence and get a lot of information on how to develop the perfect app to help strengthen and organize uh, workers uh, trying to form a union. What I've noticed is a lot of tech workers are here on visa. Their visas are attached to their workplace, so they don't have the voice um, to feel comfortable speaking out, especially with uh, union busting tactics that will just fire you, take a fine, they don't care. Same thing with police unions, right? In Washington, our uh, my opinion, mm-hmm. the union rep of Washington is a white supremacist, and um, you know what I'm noticing is that there are cops who, if they do speak up, they get excommunicated, they get blacklisted, and uh, my aim is to provide like an anonymous, optional, encrypted platform um, that not only helps organize people in a fast way but utilizes a collaborative democracy approach um, in which, you know, that not only connects to maybe that specific company or industry, but connects globally if there are, you know, so like an Apple manufacturing plant in uh, Thailand could now organize with an Apple workplace in California, yeah. for example. So you can, um, you can visit uh, www.unionseed.io um, and there is 
a form if you want to sign up to beta test. Uh, if you are in need and trying to organize either, you know, whether it's a tenants union or, you know, a Starbucks location or Amazon warehouse. Can I get your name first? Mitchell Jones. And Mitchell, where are you from? Chicago, Illinois. And which union? Union 2806. Uh, of uh, AFSME, I believe, right? Yes. Okay. And what kind of work do you do? DHS. Helping people with food. Casework. Case management. Gotcha. How long have you been doing that? Now, I've been with the state for 14 years. That's a minute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what brings you to labor notes? Well, my understanding was that there was some knowledge and some things that can help improve my skill level as a steward. So I decided to come on out. All right. And do you have any particular workshops you're, uh, you're planning to attend? Hmm. There's so many wonderful ones. It's hard to choose. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, stop back later on or tomorrow. You can tell us about what you did go to. We'll do a second part to this. No problem. All right, brother. Appreciate it. it. My name's Howard uh, Stewart. <clears throat> I, uh, I'm a retiree out of the uh, UAW. And... Which local and in which city uh, are you based? Well, uh, uh, I always say Detroit because that's where my family hailed from mostly. Uh, now, the plant that I worked uh, in was actually a, a General Motors transmission plant. At one time, it was huge. When I went to work there in 79, we had uh, actually uh, 15,000 active union members who worked in that plant. But slowly it became uh, uh, smaller and smaller. Uh, and then uh, eventually during the GM bankruptcy, uh, they went out of business or they, uh, they uh, closed it down. What sort of vehicles were you making there? Well, I'm, we made transmissions. So we made them for a, a lot of cars, including uh, it was General Motors plant, mostly truck uh, uh, transmissions. And what did you do on the line? Well, uh, I, I did a, a lot of things. Uh, uh, I, uh, uh, it was both a, an assembly plant and a, uh, we, we uh, uh, metal cutting, uh, making parts and so on. And over the years, I, I did both. Um, I uh, also was active in the union. When I was a union organizer, I organized all kinds of shops just within, uh, near my house. You know, people knew me, you know, and stuff like that. And the thing is, you, uh, you need to uh, have a, a system where, number one, you uh, encourage members to do that uh, because, uh, like, uh, unions have, uh, like, thousands of members or millions. And the thing is, by having a small group, and not all unions do this, but essentially a small cadre who uh, are the organizers and so on, which is what the UAW model was, by the way. Uh, and that's changing a little bit now, I hope. But the thing is, uh, you, you just need to uh, do more work. You need to organize more places, which means you're going to lose a lot of, uh, of battles, too. But the fact that you don't win unless you fight. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for sharing your time and your thoughts with us at the Labour Radio Podcast Network. This one's called uh, Candy. They're rich as 
can be Let's eat their candies There ain't a vaccine when these crowds get nasty How they get to be billionarios Google suggests they work harder though Convict execs see dinero Let's exploit the barrio That's where they act like Wario We gotta fight smarter though Pay money to Bernie, my deals Stand for yourself and for the people They're rich as candy Let's eat their candy There ain't no vaccine All right, we are recording right now. And uh, could you say uh, your name? My name is Sam Sproul. And what organization are you here with? I am part of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 429 out of Nashville, Tennessee. And why did you want to come to Labor Notes? Well, I just joined up with IBW in November. I've been in just about seven months now. And I really feel like I found a home in the labor movement like I have never experienced before. I was sort of at sea in looking for my calling in terms of the workforce. I, years of grad school, newspaper publishing, teaching, and uh, and found my home in construction, you know, to my to my delight and to my enormous surprise. And I think especially the the union movement in construction and the building trades it has bridged the gap that I was feeling in my own life between wanting a, a hands-on physical experience of real work, real labor, <laughs> and a culture of solidarity. My name is Lynn Fields, and I am the president of AFSME Local 3654 in East St. Louis, Illinois. Local 3654 represents the support staff and the correctional officers at Southwestern Illinois Correctional Facility. Uh, we've been a local for approximately 35 years. What are some of the What are some of the challenges that you're dealing with right now? What we're dealing with because uh, we are correctional officers and we are the cousins of law enforcement. Basically, there's this conversation about the intersectionality of law enforcement and unions. Uh, there are some people who believe that they're in this vein that we don't belong with the unions because of what's going on politically in the landscape of everything that's uh, going on in law enforcement right now with the public and in the communities. So I'm hoping that maybe, you know, if we spread the word that, hey, there is space for us here, then maybe we can effectuate some positive change on the inside. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union till the day I die. That's all I know. And I learned it going to a protest in the 80s, uh, Ronald Reagan, on a bus from Minneapolis to D.C. That was the song I learned. Thank you for joining us here at the Labour Radio Podcast Network booth at Labour Notes. Could you tell us your name and where you're coming from today, please? My name is Lakeisha Lloyd. I am coming from Charleston, West Virginia. I'm a climate justice organizer with Common Defense. We are the nation's largest progressive veterans group. When you come home and you get out of the military service, you have all these technical skills and just all of this knowledge that ne doesn't necessarily transfer over into the civilian world. So you come home and you get the jobs that you can get, right? And in West Virginia, one of the biggest paying jobs in the state 
is working in the coal mines. Okay. So one of the things that we're looking at when it comes to climate is renewable energy jobs. Bringing in, you know, making, saying West Virginia is open for business to manufacturing for you know, renewable energy, such as solar, EV, wind turbines, all this good stuff, right? But you need a workforce. So the one thing that we're trying to bring focus to is that you have a workforce that just needs retrained, right? You need, they need to be able to transition over into renewable energies. Back at the end of last year, when Build Back Better did not pass, uh, Union, uh, UMWA President Cecil Roberts actually came out publicly and stated that he was very disappointed that the Build Back Better did not pass because it had provisions in it for climate that would help coal miners transition from the mines into renewable energy jobs. We're starting to see more women in the industry, which is awesome. Um, and, but the one thing that we're noticing, a trend that we're seeing in West Virginia, is that as time goes on, you're going to have more women and uh, minorities join the military. Mm -hmm. Why? Because, because of 2020, when we had the pandemic, you have a lot of moms, single parents out here. You have, I mean, I was one of those veterans. Okay, mm -hmm. I served the United States Army um, from 2001 to 2010. And when I came home to Southern West Virginia as a single mom, I could not make ends meet. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it. There were no good paying jobs, mm -hmm. right? So I was forced to have to go back active duty mm -hmm. just so I could provide for my family. So you're starting to see this transition to where you're going to see more women and more minorities and people of color having to go into the military just so they can survive. So, you know, we need to be able to have those jobs so they don't have to make that choice, mm -hmm. you know. And when, new, when you have new members uh, getting out of the military and they're coming home, there needs to be a program in place to help that retraining to get them back out into a workforce where they're making good money and they're being able to have stable, good union jobs at home. Okay, thanks for joining us here at the Labor Radio Podcast Network booth at Labor Notes. Can you tell us your name and your organization, please? Sure. My name is Bobby Lynn Negron. I'm here representing MNEA, which is the teachers' union in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you. And is this your first time at Labor Notes? No, I came in 2018. This is my second time. It's your second time. And is there anything in particular that you're looking forward to about this event? Yes, I'm looking forward to two things. First, for folks from Puerto Rico, the teachers union are here. So I'm looking forward to learning more about what they're doing. And I'm also interested in how media works for workers. So okay. I'm really uh, happy that uh, you stopped oh, me. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, <laughs> so for sure. Can you tell us a bit about your local in, in Nashville? Uh, sure. So we're a teachers union. We've been able to have campaigns and win different victories during the pandemic. We were able to get an increase on our salary. We've been able to support the bus drivers. The pay is very poor. And then this year, staff members and bus drivers were able to uh, win an increase in their uh, salary, which we're very happy because it takes everybody to teach, not just the, the people in the building. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, Is it like you. a wall-to-wall -wall union then? Yes, absolutely. And we're growing and that's why I'm here also to learn from other teachers and other fighters that are winning things or trying to really protect what they have, the rights that they have. Thank you.
Thanks, Patrick. My name is Dan Kask. I'm with ILWU, the International Longshore and Warehouse Union in Canada. And where in Canada are you based? Uh, Vancouver. What brought you here? Uh, meeting a whole bunch of other troublemakers, a bunch of other people who like fucking with the boss. Oh, can I swear on your show? Sorry. I swear on mine, so I'm used to it. You, you have a show of your own? Yeah, I do the Docker podcast. Is this your first Labor Notes? No, I was here uh, four years ago. Yeah, yeah. It's my second one. It's your second one. And is there anything in particular you're looking forward to at this one? Yeah, there's a few workshops I'm looking forward to. Um, you know, uh, one was... Uh, researching your boss from an organizing perspective, I thought was uh, an interesting thing. Okay. So, and then I, I brought a whole bunch of young workers from Canada here as well. So, not just my own education, seeing some of the other young workers from my union participate and mm -hmm. open their eyes to the greater labor movement right. is one of the big things I'm trying to take away for sure. How many do you bring with you? There's 16 of us from Canada, but wow. from the ILWU as a whole, there's about 70 people here. Well, some of the issues you're dealing with at the moment in Vancouver. Well, we're going into bargaining next year, so getting ready for that. There's talk of port expansion, so having our say in whatever that will look like. Our fight against automation and losing our jobs. So there's always a lot on the go. You know? we, we were talking yesterday. We spoke to Alan Rouse, who's with the ILA in, in Charleston. And yep. he was talking a lot about the equipment that they have. And he says the federal government here in the U.S., putting a lot of money in, but a lot of the machinery they're dealing with is still ancient compared to what people are using in China. Yep. What's it like in Canada? Uh, for the most part, our gear's pretty good. Um, our, our main uh, port does about 80% of the container traffic in Canada. They have pretty modern equipment. The, uh, the fear is they get too modern and they end up using equipment that doesn't need people to operate them. Huh. And that's the scary stuff. How do you deal with that from a bargaining point of view? Uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, I'm not on the bargaining committee, but okay. it will definitely be uh, a major topic at the bargaining table. There's with the talk of port expansion, but nobody giving us clear answers on what the level of automation will be. Mm. It's hard for us to take any type of position until we get an answer. And the employer groups and the port authority are not giving us any type of information so all we can assume is they're looking at you know a potentially fully automated port that be a terrible thing for us and how long have you been on the docks almost 20 years now tell us about the docker podcast it's a train wreck it's what you would expect to hear with a bunch of longshore workers asking other people questions the idea was me and some buddies got to talk to some really cool people in labor and why shouldn't everybody else get to hear these conversations? You know, it's it's not interviews. It's just workers bullshitting with workers. I think that's a good premise. Yeah, I mean, it works. I, I'm not a radio host. I'm not polished. I, you know, it's it's just fun to talk to workers, and that's all it's about. 100%. Yeah. Thanks for stopping by and talking No problem. Appreciate it, guys. Have a Thank good you. one. 1945, on a picket line, striking cigar workers remix one lyric to another melody. They teach the song at Highlander Folk School, where Will becomes Shall. And in a police raid, civil rights activists add a new verse. We are not afraid. And bring it to Mississippi Freedom Summer. The song spreads to Birmingham and to Belfast, Beirut, Soweto, North Korea, India, and Tiananmen Square to sing into being 
a world where we are free. All right, this is everybody's part. We shall overcome someday. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall overcome someday. Oh, deep in my heart. I do believe. Wow, that is it for today's Labor Radio Podcast Daily. It's a special edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, and we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did putting it together. Remember, you'll find all the Labor Radio Podcast Network shows, laborradionetwork.org, and you can also find them by using the hashtag LaborRadioPod. That's on Twitter, Facebook, and the Gram. Labor Radio Podcast Daily was edited, and it was hard work. Thank you, guys. Patrick Dixon and Evan Papp, I produced the show. Our social media guru, as always and forever, Mr. Harold Phillips, along with Mighty Mel Smith. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Labor Radio Net. Find out more, and there is a lot more to find out, on our website, laborradionetwork.org. For the Labor Radio Podcast Daily, this has been Chris Garlick. Stay active and stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show. We gotta fight smarter though. Labor need to burn in my deals. And for yourself and for the people. Clear riches can be. Let's eat their candy. There ain't no vaccine when these drugs get